It is my prayer that this psalm that we're going to be looking at today will be an encouragement to you as well. I thought it fit and necessary to take a break from our exposition in the book of Ruth. Those of you who are first-time visitors, we do preach through books of the Bible, and we're focusing today on a very special topic and a special message on Psalm 91 entitled, The Saint's Security. So I'd like to begin by asking you a question. Where do you find your security? Where do you find your safety? What things is it that you put your confidence in to guide you through this life, to protect you? People are concerned about this. That's why we have car alarms and home alarms and various, all these various things, home defense mechanisms set up maybe at your home and, and bank accounts and all these things people can put their trust in. Local, federal, police, and utility companies, and all of those types of things, rather than putting our hope ultimately in God first, and then those other things may have their place. We're concerned about safety, and you think of how the cars, the automobiles become more and more, quote, safe as the years go on. I mean, when I grew up, seatbelts, they didn't exist, <laughs> you know? And so now not only are there seatbelts, there's child restraint laws. My wife told me the other day it's not six. They recommend that a child stays in a car seat till nine. Um, you know, so these, these kinds of things are always being regulated and added for our safety, right? Um, you go to pick up a prescription. It's going to have a cap on it where you can't just twist it right off, right? You've got to push down, squeeze, you know, do all this right stuff because it's a child-proof cap. Well... As we reflect on the 10-year anniversary of those terrible attacks that came upon U.S. soil, I submit to you that the United States of America had a false sense of security. We had become so proud in our economic empire and, and so forth that we never saw this coming, the threat of the terrorist attack on our own soil. And, you know, it can be hard to understand sometimes. You think of even the hurricane, Irene, just a few weeks ago. You think of Hurricane Katrina, which there's still thousands of houses that have yet to be rebuilt after six years. You think of these so-called tragedies, wildfires that rage through Southern California and destroy homes. Many of those homes have yet to be rebuilt. And when we, you know, we can ask the question, well, if God is so good, why does he allow those things? That's not the purpose of our message today. The purpose of our message today is where we can find hope and comfort in the midst of tragedy. Even our economic security is being threatened as we see inflation spiraling out of control and, and the U.S. dollar buying less and less. And sometimes we don't see that within this country. But if you go to another country, you realize how the U.S. dollar has been weakened. We are all concerned for security, and rightfully so. But as we come today to this 10-year anniversary of the terrorists crashing jets into the World Trade Center, into the twin towers of the World Trade Center, and then into the Pentagon, we must pause for a moment to consider what that scene was like. Those of us who are old enough, I know there's young children here, um, some of ours were in diapers. They don't remember that. But those of us who were watching the newscasts, those scenes are forever etched into your mind. I don't think you'll ever forget them. I know I will never forget that. It's the most unfathomable thing in the world 
that here are the Twin Towers in New York City on a bright, beautiful day, bright blue skies, suddenly jetliners filled with passengers crash into these buildings. Who saw it coming? And, and even then, of course, the, the newscasts were, well, perhaps there were cargo planes, kidnapped, you know, the initial reports and all of that. It is amazing to think of even these twin towers and what they were made up of. 1,300 feet tall, 110 stories, 208 feet down each side. These were massive structures. It's hard for us to even fathom a building near that size. And of course, when they came crashing down, some time later, it was almost as though a kick in the gut happened to each one of us as we're watching on live television on CNN or Fox News or whatever your favorite variety of news is, and suddenly the first tower coming down. And 30 or 40 minutes later, I think it was, the second tower coming down. Everything, these buildings, these skyscrapers, reduced to a pile of rubble and debris, steel and concrete and fire and dust consuming the area, people running and screaming for their lives. These are scenes that are forever etched in our mind. And brethren, there's something very real that happened that day. There was eternal consequences for thousands of people that day. Some who were prepared for death. Some who were not prepared for death. They were not prepared to meet their Maker that day. The events of September 11, 2001, no doubt are a result of the depravity of man. Men that would plot to kill thousands of people. That's a result of the depth of the depravity of man. Of course, the response is we want security. The government's not protecting us. The passing of the Patriot Act, which some criticize, some hail, whatever you're... I'm not here to talk about that, but Homeland Security's been implemented. Do you realize in the last 10 years we've spent $635 billion on Homeland Security? That is a huge price tag. We can't think about that. Oh, 600,000 millions. I mean, that's not that much money, is it? (laughs) Our deficit's more than that. I'm just telling you what the price tag is. Well, the answer is not trusting in the government, trusting in homeland security or some other type of security. The answer, brethren, is found in Psalm 91. Finding our hope and trust and protection from God Himself It's a comfort that only comes to those who are the children of God. And it's a beautiful passage of Scripture. Even this past week, I was reminded again of how dependent we become on public utilities or on the government around us when this power outage happened. A power outage happened, you expect, oh, they'll fix it in 20, 30, 40 minutes, right? Well, all of a sudden when it was like, well, it could be days or at least into the next day, people suddenly had a wake-up call. How dependent we are on these things. That was unprecedented. Five million people without power. And they say now the the grid may have some fractures to it, that it could happen again. It's amazing how dependent we've become. We've become spoiled as Americans. You know, we, we want a quick response when our rights are violated, if our home is broken into or our car is stolen. How dare you? You know, and we want a quick response. Well, today we'll be looking at where our best security can be found, and it's available to you today. So turn with me, if you haven't already, to Psalm 91. 
Psalm 91, follow along with me as I read. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day or of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, yes, ten thousand at your right side, but it shall not approach you. And you will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. They will bear you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra and the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him and with long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Let's go before the Lord again. Our Father, we do ask that you would knit these words to our heart. Lord, that you would humble us today, even being reminded at how frail and fragile we are, how little control we have of our circumstances around us. Lord, that you would strengthen our faith and our hope and our courage as a result of looking into this psalm. Remove distractions, O God. Speak to each heart here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this psalm is a very comforting psalm. People turn to this psalm often in times of loneliness and discouragement and times of loss, of of refocusing, where is my hope? Where does it really lie? Luther said of this psalm, it is the most distinguished jewel among the psalms of consolation. Godly men have committed this psalm to memory. Of course, this is the psalm, the only verse that Satan quotes in the temptation of our Lord. There's one, a couple verses in here that he quotes. This psalm has been called God's 911 verse. Go here in case of emergency. Psalm 91 verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. You see, we can read those words so quickly and not let them really sink in. What do they mean? Abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 46, John 14, good parallel text. This psalm is a psalm of protection. It was true of the psalmist when he wrote it. And if you take a messianic interpretation of the psalms as I do, it was true of Messiah when he was here. And it's true of you today if you are a child of God. Just a quick word about the author. We do not know who the author is. We can move on. Uh, Some speculate Psalm 90 being written by Moses, very likely, since there's references to Deuteronomy, that this psalm could actually be written by Moses too. The fact of the matter is we do not know. The flow of the psalm breaks into three sections. 
Um, some say there's three voice, voices, and I didn't elaborate on those, but we will as we go through this. Follow the pronouns. Verse 1 is a statement of general truth. Verse 2, it's the eye of the psalmist. Verses 3 to 13, the main body of the psalm, focuses to you individually. And then the last three verses is the eye of the first person, divine eye. It is God speaking in the third person. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. And we'll look at those in turn uh, when we get there. So, today with God's help, um, I did not... I did not have time to make an outline as we normally have, but I'll just tell you I'm breaking it up into three sections, and it's those three voices, uh, verses 1 and 2. The saint's dwelling place. Verses 3 to 13, the saint's deliverance. The last three verses, the saint's delight. And the title of the message is The Saint's Security. So, first of all, the saint's dwelling place. The way to abide with the Almighty is to dwell with Almighty God. If you dwell with something, what is, with somebody, what does that communicate? Closeness, right? There's a closeness that's involved there. It's a communing with them. And think of verse 1 really as a, it's a, it's a um, overarching summary verse of the whole psalm and all that would follow after that. We read in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare dwelling places, literally, for you. When we think of the Most High, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, what do you think of? Well, you think of several things here, but it's a picture of the place. I think of the mercy seat inside the Holy of Holies. That's what comes to my mind. The Most High place where only the high priest entered once a year. Figuratively speaking, of course, here, the the Most High. But that is the idea. It's the place where Christ is, the one that is entered within the veil where He is at. And we perpetually have freedom to enter there as New Covenant Christians. These are spiritual blessings that are available to the children of God at any time, but especially in the midst of difficulty and trouble. The idea of lodging and dwelling with Him is packed full of meaning here. In the context, he who truly relies on God surely will have His protection, that protection which is available to each one. Think of the idea of the shadow of the Almighty. He will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Can you think of another shadow you'd rather be in? A redwood tree or a half dome or something else? No, I want to be in the shadow of the Almighty because that communicates that I'm close to my Father. Think of it. You take your little son to the park. It's a new park. You're new to this town or whatever. And there's other kids around. There's young adults around and everything. And the the, the boy's a little, you know, uh, timid, but goes and starts playing. Well, as long as he can see the shadow of his father, he feels security because he knows his father is nearby. He realizes that there is a closeness there. Well, in verse 2, the psalmist declares his faith and trust in his covenant God. He says, I will say of the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, this is a very fascinating verse here. And taken together with verse 1, there's really four metaphors to describe our security with God. Did you notice it when we were going through it? First is the shelter, right? Then you have the shadow, and then the refuge, and the fortress. All of these speaking of the protection that we have, speaking of the fortress, he's our defense. We can trust in him. A refuge, it's a place of safety. 
shelter and shadow as well, closeness and protection and safety. And then notice the four names of God that the psalmist uses. This is fascinating. Look at it. It's in each line. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. That is a term of reverence. It is El Yon in the original. It means the highest high, the most high. And it's a term that's used of God. The second one is Almighty at the end of verse 1. That's Shaddai, which communicates the idea that in his terrible majesty, which puts fear into the enemies of God, but gives comfort to those that are near. And so the second one is Shaddai. And then the Lord is Jehovah there, you see in capitals, L-O-R-D, beginning of verse 2. And then finally, my God, Elohim. And so four terms used to describe God right here at the beginning. And I love this last one, my God in whom I trust. That communicates something there. That's a term of possession. The psalmist is possessing his God. It is my God in whom I trust. I'm not speaking the third person that he is a God to be trusted if you'll look at him. But this is my God and I trust in him. What a comfort that is. We've been studying Ruth. You remember when she makes that vow to Naomi, she says, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. She took Yahweh as her own personal possession. Thomas had to see. We referred to Thomas in John 14. Thomas had to see his Lord. And what did he say when he saw? Remember, he says, I will not believe unless I put my finger in the hole in his side. I don't think he even had to touch. When he saw that following Lord's Day in John chapter 20 and verse 28, he said, my Lord and my God. Again, the term of possession, ascribing deity to Jesus Christ. What a comfort this is to know that this is your possession if you're a child of God in the midst of any trial or difficulty.